Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today's show is brought to you by WeBuyRides.com. Now that's WeBuyRides with a Z. What WeBuyRides does is they're a third party that actually will offer you the most cash value for your car. Yes, your most cash value. Right then and there, problem solved. Before you go to a CarMax, a Carvana, Carfax, whatever the other, you know, all the other different things are, I highly recommend you reach out to the team at We Buy Rides. If you're in the market for a 4x4, a Highline, or a diesel truck, any kind of vehicle like that, I highly recommend checking out We Buy Rides. They're available on Facebook at We Space Buy Space Rides. They will offer you the most cash value for your car. Now that is that offer is good for straight up cash, cash value, or it's good for a trade-in on one of the existing vehicles that they have. Now, one thing that's really cool is I don't do business with anyone that has poor customer service. So the guys over at We Buy Rides, if you let them know what car you're looking for, let them know what truck you're looking for, I guarantee that not only will they find the car that you're looking for, um, but they'll give you the best service possible. They'll give you the best opportunity possible and the best offer possible. That's WeBuyRidesWithAZ.com. Today's show is also brought to you by my excellent friends at Infinite Off-Road. Man, there's there's sometimes you just deal with a company and it just makes you happy. It makes you so happy to be doing business with Infinite Off-Road. And the reason I'm that happy about it is because their customer service and their just general way of doing business is so good. Every single time I have an interaction with Infinite Off-Road, I know that I'm getting the best deal. I know that I'm getting the most quality product. Uh, it's just the best all the way around. Infinite Off-Road has a series of lights and light bars that are unmatched, where price meets performance. Uh, I believe it's called the Reaper series. I think that's what the name I saw. But they all have a rock light kit, light bars, light pods, wheel rings, whips, everything. The whole nine yards. And all of that is backed by an insane 25-year, you-break-it-they-fix-it warranty. That warranty even covers accidental damage. Yes, uh, that that warranty uh, is is act covers accidental damage. And uh, one thing that's really cool is I've actually seen that warranty be used. Uh, it's pretty rare that a lot of these companies that boast uh, warranty issues or you know good customer service in that sense, um, they never really go out and they, you never really see those warranties actually being taken advantage of. Uh, Infinite Off-Road will follow through. Infinite Off-Road has a ton of access to really great parts outside of their lights. So anytime you need a part, Infinite Off-Road is your answer. Now, my final sponsor, last but not least, my final sponsor is All Things UTV. Whether it's tender springs, drivetrain components, uh, limit straps, wheels, tires, everything you need, All Things UTV is the ultimate retailer. Um, I seriously cannot tell you how happy I am to have them on board as well. They're excellent to deal with. The customer service is absolutely excellent to deal with. Um, Dustin Robbins is super active on Facebook and he is a super good dude to do business with. You can rest assured knowing that you're getting the lowest price for the most high quality parts. Um, one of the things that he offers that I really haven't seen anyone else offer is the RS1 diff kit. Uh, it's a swap. It's a full swap kit. Um, Absolutely incredible. 
can give you the diff itself, can give you the plate that you need to get in there, the whole nine yards. Everything is just absolutely awesome. Uh, they carry drivetrain, doors, roofs, performance accessories, clutching, tunes, everything you need. All Things UTV is your destination. That's All Things UTV on Facebook and allthingsutv.com. Okay, super excited about this one, y'all. Handsome Jay is on the show today. Uh, that's 4410 Jay Calloway. Uh, this guy, like, if me and him lived closer, I, I feel like we'd just be best friends, man. We just, we just hit it off. Had a great time talking to him. Uh, we talk a lot, a lot about really, really just necessary topics for racers and people who like to trail ride. King of Hammers. We cover everything. Uh, this is an important one. So without further ado, Mr. Jay Calloway. Get a drink and gather around. Let's talk drivers. Let's talk rigs. Let's talk skill. You've got the best of the best in the off-road racing world. Have a seat at the table with us and let's talk about racing on the rocks. Jay Calloway is on the line with me. Jay, how are you? I am doing great. Good, good. I am super stoked. Uh, we had a short conversation just before we started recording, and uh, I think it got me a little bit more amped for this. Uh, it, it's just, you, I mentioned this earlier, you are just this enigma in the sport. You, you don't seem to fit the mold, and uh, I just really wanted to get you on here, get a chance to hear your story, and get a chance to hear uh, kind of how you make, you know, make all this stuff work. And uh, we can just jump right into it, because you're fresh off King of Hammers, um, talk to me about this year's prep, the race, everything. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, yeah, Jesse, actually, I, I just want to say, you know, being called an enigma is probably the third nicest thing someone said to me today. So <laughs> right out of the gate, I want to thank you for the compliments. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, man, what a what an amazing week King of the Hammers was. It, was, uh, it didn't end the way we wanted to, but – it's funny. We got out there um, Friday night and Saturday mornings when myself, my my co-driver, arrived, and every single day was better than what we had expected, planned, and strategized. We had little bitty hiccups throughout the whole week, but we were able to find them, fix them, and test them daily. And I can remember about Wednesday during the Everyman Challenge, thinking, if we don't do well on Friday, I don't know how to do it any differently. It, it was one of those just magical weeks. And, you know, we were happy with how qualifying went. We were overly happy with how all of the pre-running went. Our notes were on point for race day. And I got a great night of sleep. And um, the race, you know, started out just way better than expected and we you know I, I am lucky enough to have the same story of everyone out there that we were fast until we broke mm -hmm. and um and to that point i'm i can't wait to meet the first person that says that they were slow until they broke <laughs> um, I, I have yet to find that driver but uh, you know ourselves along with all the other guys at dnf you know we were all fast until we broke and um, um and just had a uh, a suspension, a weld break loose on our front suspension. It just wiped out everything. Yeah. So, how far into the first lap, or what, it was on the first lap, correct? Yeah, lap one. Um, we had gone out and run lap one a couple of times during the week, 
and you know we're marking where were we you know shipping from four high to four low and um had a i just a phenomenal game plan for lap one and i had talked to you know i have family and friends and you know everyone wants to talk race strategy with you and uh you know there's a phrase to finish first first you must finish and then you know you hear drive it on the rails and and, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to incorporate kind of a strategy, a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. We wanted to finish, obviously, but our goal is not to Sunday drive this thing. I've, I've finished the Everyman Challenge, and so, you know, I've gotten to taste that driving up on the stage. We, mm-hmm. we haven't finished um, in the pro class yet or the unlimited class, mm-hmm. so I, I really want that, but I feel like, you know, I think we got 11th place in the Everman Challenge. And so, you know, I've got that feeling. I've had that feeling of getting to the finish line. Now we want to race. You know, this is, we, we want to finish well. I want, you know, I, I wouldn't go out there if I wasn't trying to win it. Um, you know, we, we know what we're up against with, um, there are some teams out there that are just unbelievably, uh, put together well. And, um, you know, we, we know what we're up against, but, we wouldn't go out there if we didn't think that we could win. So that's our strategy. That's our plan. And, you know, this year, your, your question was how far we get. We got 30 miles in the lap one. Mm. And um, what is unfortunate about that is my strategy was to race lap one pretty hard. And we started 50th off the line out of about 107. And our goal was to be around 25th or so by the end of lap one and then just completely reset for lap two, uh, basically flip a switch and go into like Sunday rock crawling mode and just kind of get our confidence up through the rocks, memorize the lines and then, and then push it on lap three to, you know, set us up for what we thought would be a top 10 ish pace. And it was, um, everything was going according to plan until it wasn't. I had a well break loose on the upper a arm, the a arm twisted upside down. This was right after um Cougar Butte and which was like mile twenty nine or so. They arm twisted, wiped out our inner C V and bent our uh our um bypass shock shaft, took out our brakes. And so we were lucky. A lot of cars end up doing somersaults in that position. The way it worked out, we were actually lined up behind um three other cars that we we had kind of you know, uh, couldn't really make a pass inside Cougar Buttes. And as soon as we hit the desert, I was, took an outside line to, to, to make a pass. And we, we were kind of laughing, thinking, man, we're about to knock three guys out at once. And, uh, it was just sound like a grenade went off on the front. And, um, don't remember hitting anything. And it was, uh, it looked like the weld came off like a piece of tape is what it looked like. So, man, um, man, it was such a gut punch. But, uh, I, I will say this. My goal for Friday was to finish King of the Hammers before the sun went down. And I think I can say I successfully accomplished that goal. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that uh, that's that's pretty funny. Um, man, I, I don't even I don't even know the next question just because uh, that's just bad luck. Uh, and, and you know, you you it sounds like preparation wise, like going through the car. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit more about what you guys? Those, those little gremlins and those demons you chased down earlier in the week. Um, can you talk about what a few of those were and what you guys did to change those? 
Yes, absolutely. So I, I was very lucky. My, the the prep. So this is one of those years where you know, obviously, every year you try and bring your best effort, your best car to the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was one of those years; it just felt special. I had a lot of talented people help me out um, that I had had access to in the past. I had a lot of smart, um, you know, individuals looking at the car, touching the car. Um, helping me, you know, to, to bring what we thought was our best, fastest car that we've ever brought to the desert and, and our pre-running, uh, proved that. And, um, during the week, it was just little things. We had some leaks. Our, um, we blew out a line in our transfer case. Mm. And, um, so we, we talked to a couple, we, we run a hero case, which is, I think, Fewer drivers run those than more, uh, but we talked to a couple of uh, other teams. The Campbells run some of those. Uh, Jason Shipman, who I owe an incredible amount of thanks to, he was kind of a mentor of advice throughout the whole week. Um, he and I have gotten closer over the years. He's a, a driver I've looked up to for a long time. Obviously, the Campbells, you know, I've, I have uh, magazines of those guys on my bookshelf, you know, when we first got into racing and, um, they helped us to make a couple of changes. We ended up doing like a, a tube bypass where we just plugged, um, some ports and you're, you're actually about to maximize my level of expertise when it comes to, you know, fabrication and mechanical skills. But, but we had some leaks in the transfer case. We, we fixed those. Um, we ended up doing a bypass or, or plugging what was like a, the visual tube, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, what were some of the other little issues? We had some, um, we actually had some tire issues and BFG really stepped up and, um, and became a much bigger part of our program, our, our, our race team this year on the lake bed. It's so funny, you know, that, um, BFG, Raceline, um, both those guys we took and Vision X, we took delivery of parts on the lake bed. Um, those guys are, I, I shout out to those guys anytime I can. They've been with me for a long time and have, have made, you know, made me a com- more competitive driver because of their support. But, uh, the, the, the tires, we had a couple issues with tires because I was running old tires and, um, uh, we had a little issue with the transfer case. We had some map issues. Our GPS was giving us a little bit of trouble and then our radios. Uh, we, we, we had some, um, signal issues with the internal comms. Uh, my co-driver and I couldn't hear each other. We actually pre-ran the first lap when we got out there on Saturday with no comms. Mm. And, you know, for guys, the, the pros are the pros. They, they all know what they're doing, but for guys, um, that are with new co-drivers and you're trying to build that bond and you're trying to build that relationship, I got to tell you, I think running some practice laps without any radios is huge as far as, you know, being able to develop your, to develop your communication skills with each other. We, we ran out and ran lap one with just hand signals only. Um, we did the qualifying course with hand signals only. And it, I think it paid dividends when it, when we finally got all of our radios squared away because, you know, we had multiple ways of communicating with each other. Um, and where that helped us was when we actually went to qualify our uh the radio went out again and um so we did we did a qualifying lap with just hand signals only and it was actually very cool if you rewatch the um the jumbotron my wife recorded it so you know obviously i've watched it a dozen times but um you hear them comment on how my co-driver is using hand signals um that they can see on tv and that was because not because that's just what we do that was because our radios went out yeah but, 
Um, so that was another one of those little micro issues. Nothing was like day ending. We didn't blow an engine, you know, um, we didn't blow a transmission. They're just little bitty things that kind of keep you busy throughout the week, mm-hmm. but never got our spirits down. Okay. Now, when you're going out there that early, you know, you guys are sorting, kind of sorting these little gremlins out, but you're also getting the car prepped because, uh, where are you based out of? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. So we're, you are about as far away, yeah, in the, in the U.S. Yeah. as you can get. Yeah. So, so you're, you're getting the car set up for desert mode. What does, what does that transition entail? Is it just suspension changes or, or like what all goes into that? Well, you know, we we do make a couple of changes. So the East Coast, it's so funny. So I'm in an IFS car now, and we can get into that in, in just a little bit. Um, but I've had the privilege of racing multiple different types and styles of cars. Currently, you know, you asked about how do we make those transitions from, like, the East Coast woods and rocks racing over to the desert. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has a little bit to do with, like, the sway bar setup. Uh, and tire pressure, but the, as far as the shock tune goes, if we were a better team, we would spend way more time um, adjusting how the shocks react. Um, unfortunately, you know, my, my knowledge and resources limit us to uh, racing the East Coast on what I would call a desert tune. So we basically tune the shocks for King of the Hammers and like the Mint 400, and then we run that uh, soft, you know, softer, um, feel for the, the East Coast stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned, well, you mentioned like getting out there on, um, you know, early. I would argue that we almost get out there late. You know, <laughs> I ship everything, uh, cross country and we fly out. Um, uh, and I got out there Friday night and we kind of got set up. We weren't even set up until Saturday afternoon and I had, um, some drivers who had been out there since like Wednesday or Thursday the week before driving past us as we're saying the RV teasing us like, Hey man, tick tock. You yeah. guys, uh, you know, we're, we're, everyone else has already gotten some laps underneath their belt and we're sitting there, you know, setting up our, um, our, uh, camp chairs and, you know, coolers. Mm-hmm. So, um, that is something that we'll work to be better on, you know, to be competitive. I think you, you definitely have to be out there like, uh, probably Thursday at the latest. Um, because when the track opens up, you know, you need, you need sand under the tires. Now, is it, is it just because you're an East Coast guy is, is getting out there? Is it more time to sort the demons or is it just a chance for you as a driver and your co-driver to just kind of get the, you know, kind of get the, the, the groove back for the, for the desert? Yeah. What a great question. And, and I bet you, you know, if you ask 10 different guys across the country, they'd answer it 10 different ways. For me, it has as much to do with just like my confidence of the car and the course. It's such a different environment out there, you know, just pulling onto Boone Road, you know, that leads out to the lake bed is different, um, is, uh, you know, it's a different feeling. Like just the, the, the smell of the sand is, is different. And, you know, for someone like myself, I'm super analytical. It, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a hundred boxes on my checklist to, to go through to make sure, you know, got everything in place and, um, getting out there early, you know, getting used to that, uh, environment. Um, I, I think it pays a huge dividend to someone like myself. It's, it is very different than, um, the East Coast stuff. Our races out here are between like 
say 40 and 50 miles long and you know a winner of a uh, ultra four east or a pro rock race on the series i compete in will probably win the race in 90 minutes so you know and it's all trees and you're doing like five to seven mile laps and um so it is a totally different mindset to get out there and retrain your brain it, at least for me because the rocks are so different the length that you spend inside of obstacles on the East Coast, you're on a rock obstacle for minutes, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, there are trails uh, on the race course that could take over an hour to get through, you know, if you, if you get hung up. Same thing with the desert. East Coast, you can pretty much run any race in uh, four low, meaning, you know, our car tops out like 74, 70 miles, 75 miles per hour in four low. Dang. So, you know, I can run any race on the East Coast in four low. You're, you're never really getting too much past like 64, 67 miles per hour. And that's, even that's unique. You spend most of your time, you know, uh, pinballing off the trees at like, you know, 18 to 30 miles an hour. So it is very, very different, um, you know, go, going out to California where it's just so wide open. So a driver like myself, I, yes, you do need to be out there a bit earlier. So let me kind of, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, if it, I'm going to make the pilgrimage to the West sometime, um, maybe next year, maybe the year after, we'll have to see. Uh, the, the wife is talking about having kids, so <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, we gotta figure that conversation out first. Um, but, uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think it's probably going to end with me not going to the West Coast next year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that's a good question. Is is the Pro Rock Series, the East Coast Racing? Um, how does it compare? You know, you just said it's it's way shorter and things like that. But how does it compare in difficulty? Because essentially, the East Coast races, in comparison to a race like King of Hammers, is a sprint. But you know, it seems to be. Uh, I don't want to say this. Uh, there, there. It's it's high intensity. It's like high intensity interval training. You get these really yeah. high peaks of you know, dangerous, fast, narrow sections, they, they, and, and, you know, they're very close together, but they're very intense when they are there, whereas out west, it is, you know, longer distances between the greater obstacles. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I would never compare Pro Rock and Ultra 4, because I have, you know, such a high level of respect of both of those guys, you know, who run those series, and um, they're, they're two very different uh, series. And coincidentally, they're combining this year. So I believe it's the first. What? Uh, yeah, the first, I think it's the first Ultra 4 race this year. I'll have to go back and look at the calendar, but they're combining. So Joey and Dave are um, combining forces, and there's going to be uh, because of some scheduling. So, which I got to tell you, I, I am conflicted about this because you know, I kind of been trying to treat as pro rock as this little East Coast secret. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Ultra Four races, uh, there uh, we'll get between like twenty five and forty unlimited cars out here on the East Coast, and the pro rock races we get, you know, a, a you know a bit of a, a smaller fraction of that, yeah, from say eight to twelve. So you know my chances of being on the podium go up a bit uh, <laughs> if if fewer of these guys, you know, uh, in, the, in the Midwest and West don't know about the pro rock stuff. But, man, I could not speak more highly about, you know, the, the pro rock series. It is so much fun to run. Um, there are, you know, the 
The level of stress and anxiety just doesn't exist. Uh, Joey does such a great job with communication to the drivers, and there's a lot of drivers' input on mm-hmm. the track, uh, the difficulty of the track. You know, his goal is for cars to race each other and not necessarily race the course, if that makes sense. And it's, that's not uh, better or worse than any other series. It's just different. And so, um, you know, it, it is a lot of fun to go out there and, and, and you know, just slightly trade paint with some of these uh, other uh, drivers. And that series provides an opportunity for guys like us on the, on the East Coast. Um, there, are, there are some series out West that I know um, drivers get to supplement Ultra 4 with to, to stay sharp. And Pro Rock allows us to do that. You, you know, you mentioned it being kind of a sprint. It's, they're, they're very similar to an East Coast Ultra 4 race in mileage, time to finish. You know, they give us roughly three hours to do a race. The winners do it in about an hour and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, so what's cool about that is if you have micro issues within the car, usually you can have them survive enough to get through, you know, one of these shorter races. So whereas like out West in like the mint 400 or King of Hammer something like that, and he was 250 plus mile races, it will be exposed. Yeah. And so I would, I, I would say that's another benefit of like a pro rock series is that, you know, it, you can spend 200 hours of prep for a West coast long distance race. Whereas, you know, um, I don't even like to say, but even half that level of prep, your odds of surviving a pro rock race are, are higher. So, mm-hmm. which means more finishes, less DNFs, and that, you know, is, um, it's always more fun to, to post up pictures of a finish than it is a DNF. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Um, but one of the, well, let me ask this, you know, how many of the races of pro rock did you do last year? We, we only did one last year. Okay. I had a lighter year. Uh, I wish I could do more. We kind of cherry pick the races that are, that work with our schedule, work with our, you know, our, our jobs mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, can, I'll, I'll just say this. We would, I would do everything in my power to always do at least one race a year in the Pro Rock series. And, and then from our, you know, social media perspective, everything I can to promote that race and that series to make sure those guys get as much exposure as, you know, that we're able to do. I just, yeah. again, I just, they do so much for us. It's, it's the least that we can do. Um, it is hard for us to commit to a full series of that. A lot of that has to do with just my ability to prep the car myself. I, you know, I, I work with uh, several local shops and fabricators to help prep. So the cost of that, um, comes into play as well. Yeah. That also determines, you know, our season. Yeah, definitely. So now, do you run the Ultra 4 East Coast Series? Is, do you, you try and make most of the Ultra 4 races, or do you kind of just cherry pick throughout the series to kind of tailor to your schedule? We've done both, and it uh, it has a lot to do with our partners, our, you know, our marketing partners, and, uh, you know, a title sponsor, and, you know, we sit down every year and, you know, if, we, if we're fortunate enough to be working with a title sponsor for that year, you know, what, we get asked the question, okay, well, what's your schedule look like? And then, you know, we'll sit down and ask that same question back. Well, what would provide the most value for you? You know, I'm a, 
I'm a race car driver. We have this platform. Um, but, you know, you tell us what's important to you and, and, and we'll cater our season to that. So I've raced, we've done the full East Coast series. I've finished, uh, uh, top 10 in the, um, unlimited class on the East Coast. And, uh, every time Dave gives me a hard time, I like to bring up the, the check that they sent us for that. <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and awesome. other years, you know, we've, um, we have cherry pick, we've got to qualify for hammers. Mm-hmm. You know, the last thing I want to do is, is have to put together a full campaign and rely on getting in through the, um, uh, the LCQ. So, you know, we, every year we do some ultra four, we do some pro rock. There are some local events. Um, we try and crisscross if we can do like a rally race. I've done some, uh, off-road dirt rallies, mm-hmm. but you know, I mentioned about, you know, what our partners view as valuable. And, you know, we've, we've gone and done, uh, like golf tournaments, you know, where yeah. we bring the race car down and the race car sits, sits between the ninth and tenth hole and we go play golf and, and, you know, our partners get more value out of, you know, working with us, seeing us on a, you know, out there, uh, doing that kind of stuff, shaking hands and letting people come and, and, you know, check out the car. And, and so we try and do the best job we can of, of, you know, mixing everything. I have fun doing all of it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and we can go down that road too as far as the, you know, the platform that racing gives you. So, um. Yeah, that's know, cool. Uh, let's finish King of Hammers first before we go there because that was something I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I see that you, you've done like, uh, I don't want to call them like philanthropy events, but like, you know, you, I saw one where you went to a school and, and brought the race car. So I want to talk about that stuff. Um, but let's, let's wrap up King of Hammers for this year. Uh, did you have any other comments for that? I mean, obviously you, you didn't finish exactly where you wanted to. Um, are, are you going to be there next year? Yeah, uh, I just don't know how we could go out there next year. This this was it was an amazing week. I I just forgot how much fun I had. You know, hanging out. I've developed uh, so many friends within the industry. You know, between other drivers and vendors and manufacturers and just the Ultra Four uh, people. It's you know, it's, it's an honor for me to get to hang out with like all the you know the, the volunteers mm-hmm. that work out there. Gosh, this is just got to be the most thankless job in racing and without those people you know i mean they're legit volunteers they're spending 10 to 12 hours a day on a rock you know uh and and because those people are doing that we're allowed to go out and you know play in these fast cars so uh getting to hang around that those type of people it it is you know it's kind of like they talk about you know fills your cup man it, it certainly does that so we we will be out there next year for sure um you know the hammers week i i just I couldn't reiterate how amazing it was. What a disappointing ending. I will say this, though. You know, while there's no such thing as a good DNF, <laughs> there are certainly terrible DNFs. Yeah. And and I have experienced those. We've broken on a mountaintop and couldn't be rescued until, you know, practically midnight. Mm-hmm. And that's a terrible DNF. Whereas, you know, this one, no one got hurt. You know, the, I, we were able to pull the car onto the trailer under its own power and I was back at Hammertown by noon, you know, with a vodka drink in one hand and a champagne and the uh, glass in the other hand, eating pizza in front of Jumbotron, <laughs> you know. And I, and then, you know, and all the pressure was gone. I, I, yeah. It was a terrible end. I was, you know, gut punched because we weren't racing. But on the flip side, I got to be a fan, you know, and watch, you know, these guys that, you know, I've been watching for years and years uh, compete for the win. So, yeah. um, you know, there are worse DNFs to have. 
Yeah, and that's not a bad time, uh, sitting there outside of Jumbotron with pizza. That sounds, I mean, that's something that a lot of guys go across the country just to do that. So, uh, that's pretty cool. And, and I think that that's very well spoken and well said. Um, but one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on here is you have created not only like a, a, you know, I mentioned earlier like the Enigma, but you have a race program that actually offers value to your sponsors and, and, and it's, it's, it's more than just, you know, hey, I did great at the race. The race hill was hard, you know, this and that. Uh, it's more than that. Can you kind of, I have tons of racers coming to me all the time. How do I get sponsors? How do I become valuable? How do I do this and that? And I'm like, I'm the wrong person to ask, first off. I'm not a race car driver. But can you kind of talk about how you've created Jay Calloway, you know, the 44 chin car? Like, how, how have you done that? Sure. Man, it, it is uh, – we took some risks, that's for sure. And there's there's a uh, – you know, because we didn't know what would work and what wouldn't work. But I've been racing, you know, forever. I, start, I started racing cars when I was 16 uh, between autocross and solo racing. And, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed it. And we tried to, uh, you know, when King of the Hammers came about, we were in Colorado and I was big into rock crawling. You know, I was doing road racing in a sports car and then I was doing rock crawling in our Jeep. And then, you know, the first King of the Hammers came out and it was like, you know, wait a minute. You telling me I can do like the fast stuff and crawl rocks, you know, all in the same event. And we were hooked, you know, right away and went out as a spectator and watched and, and then, you know, built our Jeep up and, um, and through that course, you know, as you know, as anyone knows who's trying to build one of these things, it is so incredibly expensive. Yes. And, um, so we had to figure out, you know, with, without, um, you know, without having the pedigree of growing up in the industry, um, or being born into, you know, just the good fortune of having, you know, family financial backing, you know, how, how can we be competitive in, in, in what is, you know, such an expensive sport? And so, you know, I've kind of always been out there, um, but, you know, we, we've tried to figure out what could we do, you know, that would make us not another helmet in a cage. And, I mean, if you look at all these cars, they're just so similar. And, you know, there's just, you know, if, if you see 20 cars go past you, you almost have no idea, what, you know, which driver did you just see. And so we were thinking, and the same thing on the microphone. When someone finishes a qualifying lap, and you 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 get the good fortune of 15 seconds with a microphone in your face, and you hear exactly what you just said. You know, so, man, it's, you know, it's a pretty tough course. We you know we try to drive as fast as we can, and and I want to thank you know such and such and such and such and such and such. Yeah. And it was kind of like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And so we're watching that, thinking, man, you know, what can we do that's that's different? And so it all kind of came about on uh, Pirate 4x4. Oh, cool. You know, that's, yeah. that's a website that, you know, <laughs> nine out of ten people will, will openly admit they are afraid to post on. Yeah. Because, you know, that website just chews people up and spits them out. And, you know, I was one of many people that, you know, I would never post up just because, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm from outside the industry. I have very little to offer from fabrication uh, and mechanical uh, standpoint. But we were like, you know, what can we do that would just be so different that it may actually work? And I was thinking, you know, what if what if we just did kind of a more, you know, larger than life characterization of of who we are, 
and go full on mall crawler, metrosexual, you know, um, socialite <laughs> and put, and put it out there on pirate. Yeah. And the, and the first post we did and, and the whole process was building a race car to go race King of the Hammers. Yeah. And this was my daily driver Jeep. And the very first post we did, you know, I went all in and man, it just got blown up. But, you know, um, we were like, my wife and I, we were saying, you know, just write it out. You know, don't respond to the criticism. Just write it out. Let kind of the haters hate. And eventually, you know, they'll either forget about us and we'll, you know, it will have failed or people will start to catch on like maybe this is going to be not only educational, but possibly entertaining at the same time. Yep. And that's kind of been our goal for like the last eight years or so was to provide education through, you know, telling our story and putting our information out there, but also uh, providing entertainment and, um, and, you know, and it's different and we're out there and I've got, you know, you, you, we'll circle back to, you know, getting sponsors and, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, w- we've had conversations with sponsors and say, Hey, here's just so you know, you know, here's our, you know, here's our Facebook page. Here's our Instagram page. Take a look, check it out. This is who we are. You know, it's different and it's out there. And I would say, you know, four out of five of our partners will interrupt us and say, Jay, we get it, man. You know, just, you know, <laughs> yeah. you do you. We're here for the ride. We, you know, we're excited to be part of it and, you know, you know, keep being different. And, um, so, you know, I, the, there's all kinds of advice that, you know, people, uh, you know, can give as far as getting sponsors. The easiest way to get them is to just go win, you know, get on podium and, uh, and, and win. You know, that's, that's, uh, I, I joke saying that's the easiest way to go do it. That's, that's quite difficult. If, if you are, you know, a perennial podium finisher, you don't have to work that hard on the, you know, on the, um, content creation and, uh, side. You know, the, if you, if you win, people are going to gravitate towards you no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be an A type personality, B type, introvert, extrovert. It doesn't matter. You know, win and good things happen to you. Um, but there are, you know, one, two, three of those basically per race and it's tough to break into that. So, you know, for all of us that are trying to be those perennial winners, my advice is just get your uh, information out there. You don't have to be, you know, comical. Uh, you don't have to have, you know, an act or whatever and, and not saying that that's what we do, but, you know, we do work to be different. Um, but just providing content will, you know, people start to, uh, pick up on that. And then, you know, being able to leverage that, uh, content and that audience is, in my opinion, what, you know, partners, manufacturers, vendors are looking for. Um, a lesson that we learned very early on was, and I'll see it all the time on, you know, uh, web forums. People will, will, will say, Hey, you know, I'll run a sticker on my car if I can get such and such. Uh-huh. And in my opinion, and again, you know, it could be flat out wrong. That's probably the least amount that we as a team can do for one of our partners is putting a sticker on the side of the car. We okay. do that because that is a piece of the puzzle, but there's so much more. I mean, I, I put as much work into our content and getting it out there as we do, you know, uh, strategizing and, and, and racing. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what's helped us a lot is our partners, I think, 
know and understand that we're going to do the work. You know, we're not salesmen for those companies, but um, and, and we're also not doing commercials for them because I think, you know, fans and potential uh, customers see through that. And so we we really try not to be a commercial for anyone, but um, we try and partner with people that believe in us. And conversely, we partner with companies that we believe in their parts. You know, uh, sometimes getting something for free isn't necessarily a good thing. You know, um, great you saved a couple hundred dollars, but man, you know, some some of the, there's some free stuff out there that that is you're going to be hard pressed to get to a finish line. So. Um, you know, it's the, the world of sponsorships is much tougher now than it was before. Um, the, the, you know, people are a lot more savvy. Uh, companies have, you know, marketing and, and data analytics that they pull now. And so, uh, you know, you got to know your stuff, know, your, know what kind of numbers you pull in and, um, you know, what can you offer? That's, I, I could talk for hours on this. I, I won't take up your whole podcast talking about um, sponsorships, but no, as far as I think it's, I think it's advice. A lot of people don't know, and and you know it's it's one of the things where I'm actually going through this with my with the podcast right now. I have a meeting tomorrow uh, with a tire manufacturer, and we're going to sit down and talk numbers, and you know talk reach, talk engagement, talk all of these different things, and and I think that you know there's a barrier. As a racer, and again, we kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, I don't know if it's a technological barrier in terms of, of you know just technology and, and the analytic tools and things like that, but um, you know the way if, if you're not on the podium, the way you're going to get someone on board is by saying, "Hey, I can I can put this I can put your product in front of this many eyes, and you know people trust what I say because I've built a relationship with the audience that I have and uh, you know, so on and so forth. But it's, it's getting to that point of, you know, how do I, how do I use these tools that are out there for me? Um, cause you know, a lot of guys have Facebook pages. A lot of guys have Instagrams and, uh, they just don't necessarily know, you know, how to capitalize and how to create a genuine, um, like, like you mentioned earlier, it's not a commercial. It's, it's a genuine, uh, you know, you saying, Hey, this is something I use literally on my race car because I trust in it. And, and it's, and it's, you know, finding the, the middle ground between, uh, the commercial and, and, you know, just like, uh, the dryness of just saying, Hey, I use this part by it, you know, yep. so on and so forth. Yep. Um, and, so and talk I, about it. I'll as tell much you as you want. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, man. And if there's anything that someone can, you know, a, a racer that's, you know, trying to, you know, scratch and claw and, 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 you know, get a deal or two, if there's one thing that I say, you know, that helps them out, then man, you know, that, that's, that would be a huge win. Uh, like there, it's so funny. So, you know, some of the lessons that I've learned, uh, we were very proud of our numbers and, you know, how many views or hits or likes, you know, that we get. And I had one, I was really put in my place, uh, humbled, uh, you could say by one potential sponsor who actually is on board with us now. Huh. I won't name their names. Uh, but it took a lot of conversations to get them on board, but early on, in our discussions, and this was on the lake bed, actually, out at King of the Hammers, in which I think is the – I would say this. I've landed more partners at King of the Hammers than I have uh, anywhere else throughout the year. The, you know, the, the companies out there are hungry. Uh, your car is probably a way better pitch person than you are, you know. Um, so get your car in front of those booths and, 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 you know, talk to those guys. But we had a manufacturer uh, interrupt me. I was in the middle of – you know, we were – uh, I was in the middle of my sales pitch and I thought I was giving some A game 
And he stopped me and he said, Jay, listen, I appreciate the fact that you know all of your numbers, but a girl in a bikini can get, you know, 900,000 followers and, you know, 100,000 likes per picture. So, you know, I appreciate what you're talking about, but, you know, you're not a girl in a bikini. So, um, you know, he's like, we're not looking for the girl in the bikini. And it was, it was, it made me laugh because, you know, it's all relative. Um, and, um, so, you know, the lesson I learned from that was like, okay, well then, then what's important? Maybe follower count isn't important because, you know, here's a secret. If you want to brag about numbers, you can pay, you know, $10 and get, I don't know, 20,000 followers on a social media platform, or you can pay $50 or whatever and get a hundred thousand followers, you know, and they do, that does nothing for you except for give you, you know, uh, a number to brag about and, you know, watch that number. It will decrease every single month. So, um, you know, the important number to know, in my opinion, is engagement. And, and you already mentioned that, Jesse, and that is, you know, engagement means, you know, people that are interacting, talking about you, um, uh, actually physically, um, being a part of the content that you're putting out there. And so those are numbers that we track on a weekly basis. And I share those with our partners, especially when we put up something special, you know, something unique where we had the opportunity to be with a, a vendor or manufacturer. We'll share those numbers, you know, how much engagement it reached. So, you know, for you guys out there, uh, know your numbers, know your data. It's all, it's all free. Um, it's all within the, um, you know, social media platforms, know your engagement. And then, you know, there's little tricks to the trade. Uh, I don't do it quite as much because I don't want to be seen as phony. Um, but, you know, just by asking questions at the end of a post, posting a picture up of your car, where would you take this today if you had this? You know, those are those are little, you know, kind of tricks of the trade um, that that create engagement because, you know, if you have a thousand followers and, uh, you know, you get 50 likes on a picture, but then you ask a question and 17 people answer that question, whereas instead of just liking it, now you've got genuine engagement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's little bitty, tiny things like that that start to add up. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, you've gone out, you've raced, so you've developed a resume. Um, you have a plan for the next year so you can share what the, you know, what the potential sponsor would be investing in. And then you have your, you know, um, social media advertising uh, game on point as well. Here's how many followers you have. Here's what your engagement looks like. Here's how many, you know, shout outs, tags, posts per week, per month that you're going to give to, you know, that potential partner. And if you talk to enough uh, people out there, especially in the economy that's doing well right now, you will find some people that want to be a part of your program. And, and you know, there's guys out there. There's companies that are looking to use you as an advertising tool, hoping to bring more customers into their building or onto their website. And then the the best, in my opinion, are the partners that just want to be a part of something as you know awesome as off road racing. Yeah. And and those are the best ones because you know DNF when it almost doesn't matter. Those guys just like being a part of you know the decision making on what the wrap's going to look like. On, you know, I've got some, some of our partners I share like race strategy. Hey man, we're, you know, we're thinking about this. What do you think? And the fact that they get to kind of be a part of that is more than enough to justify, you know, what, you know, whatever the deals we're getting, if we're getting parts or, or, you know, some sponsor dollars. So, um, be creative. 
uh, trying to think outside the box and, and, and trying not to get, um, uh, you know, too, too much tunnel vision. Yeah, I think that's great. And, uh, just racers, people listening who want to, who want to make a stab, uh, in our, in our modern era of, of, of communication, he nailed it. That's everything. Um, you know, it's, it's, I can tell you that everything he just said is, is the only reason the podcast is functioning and we have, uh, sponsors for the show because, uh, it's, he just laid everything out right there. That's what you need to do. That's awesome. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that question has been asked. And, you know, for everybody that asked a question, I assume that there's five people that wanted to know that didn't ask at least. Um, so really, really valuable information there. Thank you for that. That's huge. Hey, no problem. And we're still learning ourselves, you know. And we, we, I'm, I watch the guys who are great, and we try and emulate sometimes without even understanding, you know, the why. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's we're, we're always looking to be better. We're always looking to be improving. That's kind of been our, our motto is always be improving. And um, so we're never satisfied, um, you know, with the season that we had before. The, the goal is to always be a bit faster and a bit smarter, and, and that goes with all aspects of it. So, you know, so we learn as well. I think that's awesome. Uh, so we can kind of jump back into the races. Uh, let me ask you this. With the 4400 car, the way it sits right now, is there any adjustments? I mean, other than uh, a new upper a, upper A arm or, or you know, all the consequent parts broke there. Um, are there any like glaring things that you want to have changed about the car? Because it seems like it works really well. It does work really well. It does not turn great, but it is a um, so so. My car was built by Mike Colville. It was it was ahead of its time when it was built. Mm-hmm. It is uh, a little bit behind now compared to the new cars rolling off the line at um, like UFO and the, the Campbell cars. Man, they're, they're new cars. Both of those guys are, are rolling. And Jimmy's, I mean, there's, it's a Trent. I guess I could just put in every single one of the major manufacturers. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> rolling out just unbelievable products right now. Huh. And to get to race against them in person and see, you know, just, how much has gone into the the, the engineering is, is truly unbelievable. But in regards to our car, uh, it is uh, it is still, in my opinion, uh, a competitive car, especially on the East Coast. I think that it can be competitive, and you know, I I I believe that I could have um, I believe that the the you know the the car could have been a top ten car at King of the Hammers this year with that with all the stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as far as what we're going to do, I have to fix all that stuff. There's probably like three thousand dollars worth of stuff that we broke in that one little. Yeah, that's that's a killer. <laughs> um, so we have to fix that corner. The good news is that uh, I do have some fluid leaks. I am not quite sure where. I, you know, when we got the car back, mm-hmm. uh, the car is in the trailer in my driveway at the moment. So I got to figure out where some of the fluids coming from within the trailer bed, but um, we'll fix that corner. We'll 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 you know um, tighten up where the fluids coming out, and then it's ready to rock and roll. Uh, you know, with with just such a short day, the good news is that you know it, it should be a fairly easy turnaround to get back to race ready. That's the short term uh, fix. You know, as far as what we're going to do long term. There's not a ton that I can change or that I would want to change. This, I'm, I joked about the steering. The steering is pretty rough uh, as far as my radius, the degrees that I get in comparison to the newer IFS cars that are coming out. Mm-hmm. We're, we're a bit narrower. I think I am 
outside wheel to outside wheel, I think I am like eight inches narrower than uh, Jordan Pellegrino's new car. Wow. So that that's measurable. Now, the good news is, I don't think he can fit his car in an enclosed trailer. So, so we do have that. But, um, <laughs> There's the W. It really <laughs> so, but, uh, we are about, I got measured it. I think it's like 86 inches okay. outside to outside. So, so we're narrower. We're a little bit taller than the new car. So we're a bit taller and a, and a, a bit narrower. So, you know, so that, that doesn't help as far as, short course racing, um, you know, tight turns, but there's not, there's just not much I can do about the steering. It's just, you know, we three point turn where we have to three point turn essentially. Mm-hmm. But, um, the car itself, I, we're going to update the wiring. Okay. So we're, we're talking with Holly and hopefully we'll put something together to change the dash. So we'll go full digital on a dash. It is way overdue for basically a full rewire. We've got, you know, dead wires, uh, where we've upgraded, certain pieces of electronics and um so the car needs a rewire as a matter of fact i wouldn't even let anyone uh look underneath the dash right. unless they're the guy going to rewire it because it's, it's <laughs> it is overdue uh, um but a- after that it's probably aesthetics i think we're going to make a couple of changes to you know keep the car a little bit more of a modern look and you know who knows there's you know ford just signed on as the title sponsor for ultra four for the next three years and at the driver's meeting they they made some there was some remarks about some contingency money if you're running ford parts or if your car looks like a ford and you know i drive a raptor as my daily driver slash tow rig and you know we're thinking you know how cool would it be to put like a raptor hood on the front of that yeah. And, um, you know, and, and make the back end kind of look a little bit more like a truck bed. I mean, it's so easy. There's, you know, the, the technology out there with uh, 3D printing and fiberglass and aluminum to make these, you can make them look like anything you want. Yeah. And, um, uh, I'll make a, let me say a side note about that. The, the sport is continuing to grow. There are now, you know, corporate sponsors coming in and backing, um, uh, a few teams. And you got companies like, you know, Jeep in the past and now Ford. That's those those you know the sport is is growing. It's not rescinding. And under the you know mantra or idea of always be improving, if you want to be relevant and stay relevant, I think that you can't just go out there with a tube chassis and some aluminum panels uh, bolted onto it. Uh, and a great example of that, two of them actually, the Campbells, their new cars with their I don't know I think their fiberglass molds, but they're changing the way that these race cars look. And I think as more people start tuning in, you have, it sounds silly to say, but I really think that you have to invest some time and money in how your car is starting to look. Uh, and their cars, you know, because the, you know, the hardcore guys, it's two buggies and they're forced to put skins on there, you know, essentially. Um, whereas, you know, the, the new, um, the new cars, are starting more and more to have some legit race car look to them. And um I think, uh, let's see, Lauren Healy, I think he put like the Bronco hood on yeah. his, you know, yeah. for this race. That's another good example where you're starting to be able to identify, you know, characteristics of these cars. So they don't all just look like tube chassis with aluminum, you know, panels covering the doors and the hood. So, uh, you know, under that thought, we were, as we were driving back, you know, we're flying back from Hammers, we were thinking maybe it's time for us to, you know, take that a little bit more seriously or, or, or could we, could we make an impact and become more relevant with 
you know, the, the Ford Bronco is launching in like March and, you know, there's all kinds of rumors about it being on the lake bed. And, you know, what if we did some kind of aluminum back half of the car that looked similar to the, you know, the Bronco that covered up our spare tire. So it looked like a, you know, almost an SUV mm-hmm. in, um, in, you know, 4,400 or 4,400 car in SUV clothing. Yeah. Uh, that, that emulated the Bronco, you know, that's trying to tie in with the major sponsor of the sport. So, you know, your question was, what are our plans for the 4,400 car? We're looking at it from a performance perspective. Man, it's the engine is running great. The transmission is great. Uh, transfer case feels solid. The shocks were just fully rebuilt. Uh, G-Force Racing in Tennessee just helped us out with that. It, it is the, the car is performing, I think, at its highest level. So then it's, you know, so kind of like the what else. Um, and we kind of like the idea of maybe implementing some kind of body panels to, to make it more identifiable. Yeah, so a couple things there. First off, um, I listened to the entire live stream pretty much every day uh, of King of Hammers Week, and they sure were talking about that that Ford motor pulling Lauren Healy across, and it was just, I, it, it just dawned on me that they, you know, they're kind of doing this all on purpose now, uh, because I, it just seemed like some kind of big staple that they were talking about. And anyways, it kind of just clicked. Um, but I just actually looked up the new Campbell car design. I didn't realize, and again, being, not being there in person, um, that fiberglass that they have on the side of that car, um, dude, that's that's a sharp, sharp looking car right there. That is, it, it's a full mold. I mean, they, they, they've got a partner, you know, that they they get those molds, and then now with the cars, you know, being so similar, Waylands and Bailey's and uh, now Brian's car, uh, you know, being so similar, they, they run those molds, and man, what a unique look it is. But, you know, that I guess polished, professional, you know, yeah. those are not like quantifiable terms that you can put on Excel spreadsheet, mm-hmm. like, you know, like you can the geometry, uh, you know, of a cage or a suspension. But, man, in my opinion, I think that's going to go a long way as far as, the, you know, the continued evolution of the sport. And I think that if you are a top-shelf guy and, you know, a consistent perennial finisher – you know, I, I think that you got to spend some time looking at that aspect, uh, you know, out, outside of just uh, being fast. Yeah, so, I, uh, I very much agree with you. And I think that um, the Campbells and the Bronco car that was raced this year, I think it was it was a it was an ultra four like historical car. I know the guy in the 4400 race, he ended up losing reverse on lap two and, and he ended up, I forget his name, um, but he raced a full Ford uh, Bronco clip, it looked really great. Uh, the UFO cars are now taking, you know, a completely yep. different direction in terms of how they look, and it's a very, um, to me, it's very uh, rock buggy of old, like the old We Rock series. They're kind of adapting that, uh, you know, it sounds redundant, like alien ship look. Uh, yeah, no, that's it, a great, very, great analogy. It, it looks great though, uh, and even you know, even Tony Pellegrino. Uh, in the 4400 class, racing his entirely stock, and not, I'm going to say stock, uh, full body. Yeah, the, the Terramoto. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about that car because I <laughs> joked with those guys. You know, our pit was like two pits down from the Pellegrino camp, and we joked all week long about, you know, how that car was going to qualify and, you know, how that car was going to race. And I thought, I thought the 
that Jeep honestly was going to I, – I, without a doubt, I knew it was going to finish. Tony's such a good driver, and that Jeep is just top shelf and, you know, you know up and down. Um, but we thought he'd be like a top 30, and he was close to that. I think he got like 37th or something like that. That is and, uh, Or maybe even better than that. But, you know, the, the joke was that if he beat me in – you know, we had kind of a gentleman's agreement of if uh-huh. he beat me in qualifying that – we weren't allowed to post about it um, <laughs> because <laughs> it was a full body Jeep. But, you know, I think from, you know, as the sport grows, obviously you want the sport to grow. The, the, the more, you know, what, and what does growth mean? You know, in my opinion, the more fans that are, you know, educated and, and aware and entertained by it, you know, the more fans that we get, the more uh, uh, vendors and manufacturers will want to be a part of it and that brings more money and, you know, it's kind of like a, a rising tide lifts all ships, you mm-hmm. know, just because you see, you know, these top five, six, seven, eight, you know, named drivers getting a bunch, that doesn't mean there's still not stuff out there for, you know, the rest of us. So, you know, I love seeing all these, you know, corporate, uh, uh, sponsors come in because I think it means, you know, more for all of us, more eyeballs watching the race. You know, there's just as many people watching, you know, uh, one guy as there is watching, you know, the, you know, the, the 60th guy. Yeah. So, um, you know, so it's exciting. And, you know, you talk about the UFO cars and they do look very different. And the best thing I can think of is like, cause you got like, like the Miller chassis. Holy smokes. You know, those guys, they just about locked down hammers with, um, first and third place finishes. And, yeah. um, but they have a really unique look to themselves as do the UFO cars, as do the camel cars. And what's cool about that is it creates uh, rivalries amongst the fans because they fans will start to gravitate towards one style over the other. And, yeah. it, and, and if you can create rivalries, then you've got, you know, you'll start getting bigger and bigger, you know, uh, bandwagon, you know, sections, you know, cheering for one team and booing the other team. It's like, you know, uh, Ford versus Chevy or like, you know, um, Jimmy Johnson versus Tony Stewart. Like they're both great drivers. Their cars look identical, yet people hate one <laughs> driver and will tattoo the other on their back. Yeah. You know? So it, you know, it's like why, you know, what drives people to do that? And it's, you know, if you can give them something specific to cheer for, I think the UFO guys are doing a great job of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Campbell chassis and then the Miller chassis too. And I love it because it gives, you know, the more that you can give people to love and hate, um, the more conversations that that's going to, uh, drive. And if people are talking about it, then, you know, and it just spreads and spreads and spreads. And so, and we've tried to do that with our team. You know, I, I will tell you, we, there are equally as much or maybe even more people that do not care for, our style as they do as we do have you know uh, people cheering for us so i get hate mail uh and you know through uh email and social media private messages almost weekly of you know people think that we're uh uh you know uh conceited and you know because when we talk about like the hairstyle and, and tight tight fitting clothes you know, we're bad for the sport. We're not true race car drivers and, you know, and, uh, and we're jerks. And I get you know, random hate mail all the time. And, you know, we don't respond to any of it. And, and if people say negative stuff on, you know, on a post or whatever, we, we don't respond to that either. But, um, you know, it kind of comes with the territory. But the thing is, people are talking 
and, you know, and that's, that's what we want, you know, so. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that every, I think what you said was, was really perfect there. Um, I personally love the, the association of these teams with the, with the cars, uh, because just like you said, the Miller cars, the Campbell cars, um, personally, I had Pellegrino, uh, I had him picked kind of a wild card. I had him picked for the winner. Uh, I know he ended up, you know, falling off, but, uh, just to, uh, and that was Jordan, not, not, not yeah. but, um, I had him picked because he's got new technology, me being kind of someone who's, who's into technology, into advancement, stuff like that. Uh, I was like, man, this guy, if he can, if he can hold it together, uh, he's super fast, came out super fast in qualifying. Uh, I thought it was awesome, but I think you're exactly right. Those little rivalries, they, they just breathe life into the sport. So, uh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think that's really, really cool. Uh, let me ask you this. And I got, I got, I get hate mail every once in a while. I got some hate mail for, uh, last week I had on a shock tuner who mostly does 4,400 cars and we spent a decent amount of time talking about side by sides. Uh, so I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but, uh, there is these whispering rumors, the winds here of a, of a 4,400 spec UTV and with a Can-Am finishing the 4,400 race, um, what are your thoughts on the side-by-sides, you know, coming into the 4,400 race? The fact that that side-by-side was even able to finish that 4,400 race, what does that make you think? Wow. What a that, – that is so crazy that you would ask me that because I think I have or I hold some maybe controversial opinions on that. And before we even started talking, I debated whether or not I was even going to talk about it. But I I will say this in full transparency. um, I watched that guy um, qualify and I think he qualified like 25th overall. Mm -hmm. It was a yellow uh, Can-Am and unbelievable driver and uh, an unbelievable car. And so he started like 25 spaces ahead of me on the main, uh, you know, for the, for the main event. So there's a, there's a couple things about that. I think that you can build, um, some of those side by sides to hold up for three laps. You know, they're already doing two laps. There's almost, there, there's almost nothing that they have to do that we don't do in the big cars. They, they are putting those machines through everything. And what's kind of funny about that is, if we get jammed up in a, in a rock section and I'm looking at it and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, how are you supposed to get through this? The first thing that goes through my mind is, man, they had those little Can-Ams on 32s and 33s, you know, and, and Polaris is running through this. If they can do it, I, I can get this monster of a race car, you know, through it. And so, and we literally will joke about that. So, uh, you know, I, I have no doubt in my mind that they could add a, you know, that, um, those cars could finish a 4,400 track. And I do not think that they are slower than the, you know, the majority of the big cars. Mm-hmm. If you look at times, if you look at their lap one times and their lap two times, they're right on par with basically outside of the top, like 15, something like that, top 10. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what I'm going to say in just a second has nothing to do with how fast or capable they are. They are as fast as the majority of the unlimited cars. They are, you know, as capable as probably, you know, 30 to 40% of the big cars. Here's my issue. And, and I only have it because I experienced it firsthand. Um, the guy driving, and I, and I forget the guy's name now, uh, um, 
the one that's in the corner race? Yeah. Cody yep. Miller. First of all, great driver. Secondly, you know, great individual. I, I went up and congratulated him after the race and got to talk to him for a few minutes. And, and you know, you want to talk about a guy who was just, you know, uh, living on cloud nine. He, he, I don't think he stopped smiling, you know, the whole day after he finished. Um, but we, we caught him right before we got into like a mile or two before, uh, Cougar Buttes. And, you know, there are more aggressive drivers than I and, and just flat out better drivers than I am and, you know, could probably make a pass much cleaner than I could. But I did not like, uh, it changed my whole driving style when I got up on top of them because, you know, those things are so quick twitch in comparison to the big cars that, you know, if I'm, I have no problem running up, you know, two feet behind, um, you know, another 4,400 car at whatever we're doing, 55 miles an hour, you know, getting inside his dust cloud and giving him the siren, giving him the siren. If I have, you know, if you have to do a, a nudge, do a nudge, there's, I have zero issues doing that with another big car. We're all out there doing the same race. No one's trying to kill each other, but you know, there are, you know, rules written and unwritten in racing about, you know, bumping, nudging, whatever. I would never, ever nudge a side by side. Um, you know, there, my car probably weighs, 4,000 pounds more than that car, maybe, maybe 4,500 pounds more than that car. And if I get up on that guy, you know, cause the dust is so bad, they put up as much dust as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. If you get up on top of one of those and they tap the brakes and those things react so much faster than our cars do. I mean, I don't even know if we'd feel it if we drove over them. Yeah. And um, so we got up on him a couple times, you know, he, he was not holding us up and how we were driving. I was not, uh, being overly aggressive. If I wanted to make a pass, you know, we could have gone way outside to make a pass. We were coming up on Cougar Buttes where everything was going to slow down. Mm-hmm. And it was a weird section. Um, my pass on him was basically going to be two wheels in the two track and two wheels in kind of the, you know, the, the, the rough stuff, the cactuses. Mm-hmm. And I've made that pass many times before on, uh, other, unlimited cars with no problem. You know, you kind of just nudge your way around. Everyone kind of makes room for each other. And, and, and then you, you know, and then you pull back in front. I was really uncomfortable doing a pass that close to that guy. And there wasn't any room for him to kind of pull off on the side, you know, either. And so that was one thing. Um, you know, like I said, a better driver than me, probably make an easy pass. But so we kind of dialed back probably three or four miles an hour and ended up uh, running in a pace with him and a couple other cars in front of him. And then we got to Cougar Buttes. And our car, just because of how big it is in comparison, goes a little bit faster through that type of terrain. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's probably a dozen lines that I just didn't see where I could have made an easy pass. But I, it, whereas I could probably bump and nudge my way around another guy, or, or like, for instance, that guy got hung up uh, once or twice, whereas I could, you know, make an aggressive pass around. I was too uncomfortable doing that as a driver um, from a safety perspective. And so we ended up, you know, going through Cougar Buttes a little bit slower um, than maybe what we could have. And all of that had to do with me just being uncomfortable on, you know, the safety aspect. You know, is that guy a faster driver than me? Probably, you know, but, um, you know, but the couple of times where I wanted to make a pass, I was just, it was um, an added level of decision making that you don't normally have to make with the with the big cars. So you know, 
do they belong? Do they not belong? You know, I, I that's definitely not a decision for me to make. But I will say, I did. You know, no matter how fast he was or, or capable, um, you know, I was uncomfortable from the you know really racer on racer um, perspective when it comes to you know kind of the passing, bumping, nudging. Um, it just felt like my car was just crumpled. That thing. You know, yeah. Like we, so that's a long answer to your question. Um, I would never discourage anyone, especially, you know, he finished the race, you know, so what does my opinion matter on something like that um, when we only get 30 miles? But um, I will say in those short 30 miles, there was probably four or five times, and there's even video of us driving through Cougar Buttes where we're, where we're behind him where he would kind of crest a hill and just disappear. And I would have to, I say have to, I would stop, I chose to stop and wait until I could see him again because I was so concerned about, you know, if I crested that same hill and he had, like, let's say he endowed or, or, or got stuck on the bottom and that we would just come down on top of him. And, you know, my thought was that that would not have been a good day um, for anybody. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, it sounds like I'm saying they shouldn't race, but, hey, he finished the race. He certainly beat me. Um, so, you know, um, okay. I, th- I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah, so so perfect answer. Um, and the reason I ask is because, again, I watched King of Hammers live. Um, I watched you come through Cougar Buttes right behind him. And I was sitting there, and I was like, there – you know, I don't, I don't need to reiterate what you said, but um, your car could have made it through that section substantially faster um, had you not been directly behind him. Now, I took that as a, you know – Maybe there's not the line that, that Jay wants, and, and maybe that car is just kind of in the way. Um, I hadn't taken it into perspective of safety because uh, I wasn't there. It's not something someone thinks about until they're in that situation. Now, I, as as a media guy, would love to know how many 4,400 cars um, ran into him on the track, and especially those that ran into him in the rock trails because um, – being a 4400 car, having such a such a size advantage um, over this car, I mean, any of those given passes and any of those rock trails, uh, you know way better than I that, you know, they're very off camber. If someone makes a pass on you, you know, I would say 50% of the time there's contact there. And if a big car is leaning on another car, you know, especially a UTV, uh, it can get pretty sideways pretty quick. And, I mean, we've all seen passes where a driver will use the other car as, you know, part of the terrain. And, yep. and I know that that's a last, kind of kind of a last-ditch effort type situation when the other driver just can't get out of the way or what have you. Um, that's not a move that, if I were in the situation in the 4400 car, I wouldn't want to make that move. Um and it, and it really does hinder your race strategy, and it does hinder that, and I hadn't thought about that before. Um, so we can kind of leave it there, uh, and, and I think that that's something that Ultra 4 needs to really figure out because uh, I'm sure that you weren't the only one with that concern on race day, uh, which I hadn't thought yeah. about. I think it's very it, valid. It, it, yeah, and just to be clear, it's more – it was – you know, my opinion is based purely out of concern versus, you know, um, competitiveness. Yeah, that guy was fast. The side by side was fast. It was obviously durable. It finished the toughest race in the world. Um, but you know, I um, just from a safety perspective, I feel like it, it at, at, at a minimum warrants a conversation. Yeah, um, but I'll, I'll right. say this: you know, regarding Cougar Buttes, 
you know, I've watched tons of video of you know, a whole bunch of drivers, and man, you know, there's a dozen lines through that. So, you know, I, I, I'm not by any means saying I was slow through there. You know, I, I chose safe lines and you know, you know, main lines essentially. At any point in time, I could have taken a risk and you know, taken a you know, uh, more of an unorthodox line and probably made a clean pass. But, um, you know, the the day was the day, and so yeah, so the. Those are my thoughts, um, and you know, I'd be, I, I, I would love to see uh, the race grow. But you know, I wonder, is it a similar analogy to like uh, in NASCAR if you put a, a you know, one of those 200 mile per hour uh, motorcycle uh, racers out there? You know, the motorcycle will probably do the 200 miles or 400 miles of a NASCAR race. It's going, it can do 200 miles an hour. It's going to be as fast as what a lot of those cars run. But you know, um, does that impact? the you know the other drivers um you know on the course so yeah anyway. yeah and, and, and nobody wants anybody to get hurt it, it's it, it's it's not a you know i think that it's, it's worth reiterating you know it's not a matter of uh necessarily competitiveness it is just a matter of a respect for another human being and accidents happen especially in those rock trails um you know that car turns over and rolls back down or goes uh you know hood over hood over the back end uh, that car can get, that UTV could get pancaked. Um, I, again, I hadn't thought about it and the more I think about it, I think you're, you're right. It's definitely worth having the conversation over. Um, but all that being said, um, I, as a side by side guy, um, I think way too many side by sides finished this year. Uh, King of Hammers is supposed to be the race that's hard, you know, just uh, the machine destroying race. Uh, not that I'm saying that carnage is a necessity, but, uh, we've had a lot more, a big increase in finishers and not only the 4400 class, but the side by sides as well. Um, I think the side by sides are fully capable of running the entire King of Hammers loop. Um, and to me, that's kind of the answer for the, for the UTV race, uh, is add in that third loop. Um, why not? It's kind of how I look at it. It's kind of just, Hey, you, you'll go down to uh, you know, uh, KOH used to have a finish rate of about eighteen percent, and mm-hmm. I think if you add that that third loop, that's probably the percentage that you're going to get uh, with the the side by side guys. It just there's now I will say this the the amount of engineering and um, design that are going into all the new cars, side by sides, legends cars, and unlimited cars. More cars are finishing because there's more people, there's more um, companies investing in the sport and, and bringing that knowledge into our sport. So parts are getting stronger. Uh, stronger parts are being put together better. You know, the, these builders are building very purpose-built race cars that are designed for King of the Hammers. And then you can also race them in other uh, events, but they're being built to survive King of the Hammers. And so if you look back four or five years ago, People were taking their, people were modifying rock crawling, uh, or they're building buggies, but it, there, there was, a lot of it was built on, uh, ideas versus, you know, proven, tested, um, uh, designs. And so that's, I think, you know, and so not only is the equipment getting stronger and better, and the designs are getting, uh, tighter, but the driver's skills. So you've got, Five more years uh, you know, of drivers running essentially the same trails, learning the same line, learning the bypasses. You know, learning there's there's trails where if you're a foot to the left or a foot to the right, it completely changes you know the how the trail is run. So 
you've got drivers now who are able to, you know, who have memorized and data logged all the bypasses. And so uh, I think that you'll continue to see finish rates because, you know, the rocks are the rocks. There's only so many rock trails out there. um, Dave introduced, Dave and JT introduced four new trails this year, I believe. And so, you know, they're doing everything they can to, to make it, to continue to make it the toughest race in the world. But, you know, the rocks are the rocks out there and these cars are just, being so um, overbuilt and over-engineered that I think you'll continue to see a higher rate finishers, and that, that includes the side by side too. I mean, you've got company side by side companies that are putting out like race ready, uh, uh, you know, UTVs on the factory floor. Mm-hmm. So there, I mean, the guys are running thirty-five inch tires on the side by side. That's yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. It's amazing. Now let me ask you this, and and we'll kind of we'll kind of drop it because I think that I think that the 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 point has been made and and I think we're you know we could spend all day talking about it because you know does the race need to be harder uh is there too many people finishing I think those are kind of open-ended and unanswerable questions and I think they're fun to talk about but I I think I'm 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 pretty pleased with with where that conversation is at um sure uh, to end the side-by-side conversation you're going to a dealership today you're going to go buy a side-by-side what do you go buy Oh my gosh, what a tough one. I'm trying to think of, you know, if we're trying to work with any side by side companies, but I'd be, you know, damaging <laughs> those chances. Yeah. No, I, you know what? It's, uh, I love the new Razor front ends, mm-hmm. the way they have those LED lights. I think that they knock that out of the park. Um, but my wife likes the Can Ams and, you know, I've seen a couple of them in the stores and their top end, you know, 1000 turbo looks insane i mean it yeah it 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 looks like um it looks like what you would want your unlimited car to look like it's built so um so strong and uh so both either one of those i i feel like you know if i had to make a choice i'd probably go with the can-am plus yeah. you know getting beat by that guy probably even um <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Uh, well, let me let me say two things here. One, uh, I'm a I'm a Polaris guy just by my history. Okay. I've always owned Polaris. Um, I've driven the new Pro XP, incredible machine. Uh, talked a lot about it in the last episode of the podcast. Um, incredible machine. The steering is ridiculous. The car steers underneath itself. Um, absolutely, just mind boggling how well it steers. Um, rides well. Super strong drivetrain. Okay, there's Polaris. This weekend, also, um, I got into uh, from Nitro Circus Hubert, everybody's favorite redneck. Um, he just got back from King of Hammers, raced his Turbo RR, the top of the line Can Am X3. Um, the amount of power coming out of that car, and it and it just has a, a regular, basically tuned to delete the governor. That is the most violent, viciously fast, um, smooth well manicured and polished car I've ever been in my life without a doubt I've been in rock bouncers I've been in 4400 cars that car is and that's the car that, that podiumed uh, the entire side by side race this year um, that is that is a that is a new beast um, Polaris will have an answer for it Pro XP is an excellent vehicle but my god that is the most vicious vicious car I've ever been in uh, it was one of those where I don't normally hang on to anything. I was hanging, we had a five point harness on and helmets. I was hanging on to my harness, uh, just <laughs> got out of it and was just like, that's, 
not fair. <laughs> I, I will say we owned, uh, I bought a Arctic Cat 1000 uh-huh. and with the idea of trying to do some like local races, uh, we have a GNCC series here mm-hmm. and it was without a doubt the most fun I've had in a off-road vehicle. It is, it's just like what you're talking about. And this was bone stock, you know, it was stock tires. I think it was like 26, 27 inch tires and it was, insanely amount of uh, fun. So I can appreciate it. I haven't spent a ton of time in them, but I had it for a year. But in that one year, you know, we blew the motor, blew the clutch. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, I've got, you know, too many other expenses with the big car, you know, to be spending on this little thing. So, yeah. so we ended up selling it, but it was a ton of fun. Yeah. Okay. So we're just about over an hour here. Uh, got a little bit left I want to talk about. Um, is there anything in the off-road spectrum uh, left that you would like to talk about? Because what I want to do is, is kind of talk a little bit more about the about you know how you've taken um, you as an individual, you as a human, as a you know someone who works, someone who does all these different things, and converted it into uh, basically you've been able to monetize yourself. And I want to talk about a little bit about what you do outside of racing as well. Um, is there anything in the off-road world uh, that you want to kind of speak more about? And I'll give you a chance to shout out sponsors and all that stuff uh, in a minute. Well, but. no, you know, and, and again, I definitely don't want to be a commercial for you sure. know, um, uh, sponsors. But I will say one of the uh, a unique thing that I've been able to experience offer is the evolution of our race program. Uh, you know, we started off in a Jeep and a full-bodied, full-framed uh, um, uh, TJ that we built into uh, Ultra 4 4500 car that I still daily drive. It's in my driveway. That's I, awesome. I drove it to the gym yesterday. And, you know, it's bypass shocks and a, it's got a Corvette motor and, uh, and, you know, we still, we still, and it's a KOH EMC finisher and, you know, I get the chance to drive it around. But then we upgraded. I drove a, um, for uh, about a season and a half. I had a, um, uh, a bomber car, and so again another solid axle. But the mm-hmm. difference between those two is I just thought was cheating. The the bomber chassis is probably the best rock crawling setup that you can have. Yeah, you know we would joke I could put a blind person in the driver's seat and they could drive any rock trail at Hammers and the, those cars. Um, they're so light. I think mine was like 3,900 pounds or something crazy like that. Um, and then we upgraded from that to an IFS car. And one, a unique, uh, uh, experience that I've been able to live through is getting to drive every spectrum, uh, of, you know, ultra four race outside the UTV, I guess. But, you know, we did the daily driver, 4,500 car, solid axle. Uh, unlimited car and now the um, IFS unlimited car and it's and it's so cool to see I will say the IFS car is like cheating in the desert and you know the, anybody who sits in one probably starts saving figuring out how to save to get one it is the, the difference between you know riding a Bronco uh, through the desert versus you know riding on a pillow is 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 that analogy is about as close as it gets. Wow. That's, so, um, that's pretty impressive. And, and I, I wanted to talk about the 4500 car. I wanted to talk about the bomber. It, it sounds like to me I'm going to have to get you back on for another episode sometime. Well, no, no problem. I, you know, I'll be happy to talk to you off, uh, at a later date. Okay, cool, cool. Um, well, going back to you, so what do you do as a profession? So I've been in uh, sales forever. 
I have uh, been, you know, account management. I've started off in television, and, and actually, you know, just if I can rewind a little bit, you know, we're going to talk about kind of how we've used racing as a platform. And you mentioned earlier, kind of the, the you know, the philanthropy side of it. Uh, I had an experience in seventh grade where, you know, I can remember being like, you know, bored, um, unmotivated, and we had my class had a guest speaker who was an astronaut. And he came in and, first of all, it's just a great speaker. But secondly, he made an effort to relate exactly what we were studying, like like the same math and reading comprehension and language that we were studying in school in my grade to what he used on the space shuttle. And he did such a good job with it. Like it was a light switch turning point for me. And, you know, this was middle school. And it, it, it changed how I looked at, you know, school and studying for the rest of my life, uh, you know, all, all the way through college. And, you know, that, that guy made such an impact on me. I went to Auburn to study to be an aerospace engineer. And, you know, a year and a half into that, I learned that that was definitely <laughs> trying to be way harder than what I wanted to do in college. Yeah. And so, you know, you ask, like, you know, what do I do? What makes me me? I switched from aerospace to communication and public speaking. And and could not have had more fun. My my last years of school, I thought I want to be on TV, so I studied television and marketing and public speaking and persuasive discourse. And instead of having to read, you know, chapters and chapters a night and memorizing math equations, we didn't even have textbooks in some of my classes. You just gave a speech, you know, once every three weeks, and that's and and you know, there was no more studying. It was unbelievable. And um, I uh, set myself up to be on um, TV. I learned kind of right out of the gate there's not a ton of money to be made in that. And so I switched to the advertising side, and I worked for uh, started off working for Fox uh, Television Network and then um, uh, moved over to CBS in Colorado. And that's kind of how I got into what I do now. It was – uh, you know, sales and television. And so uh, the cool part about that was I got to do some commercials. I got to do some voiceover work. and But I was in and around, you know, people whose job was to advertise for companies and convince companies about the power of advertising. And so I've used that knowledge and experience throughout my whole career, but especially in racing. And, you know, we, we would sit down with clients that are, you know, we're trying to get half a million, million dollars a year in advertising. And my job was to convince them as to why it was valuable to advertise and market. And so I've been able to use those lessons in racing. So, you know, since then I've been in sales and what we call strategic account management. And that, that's basically my role now as a strategic account manager. That's awesome. Uh, that's really cool. Who, what was the name of the astronaut that came to your class? I don't have his name. That's the crazy part. I have a pin. I still have an astronaut pin that he get. You know, um, I I won like you know he did like a couple little challenges, and I won one of the uh, little math challenges and got a pin. I think I just guessed and, and you know, got it right. Yeah. But I, I'm so glad you asked me that because I'll I'll say this. You know, we've racing has uh, obviously it's fun. You know, to uh, self serving to go out and get to drive fast cars and and. Um, and compete it's a competitive outlet but we have worked very hard on 
um, using racing and the platform that we're you know blessed to have to try and impact uh, kids and youth the same way that I had you know was impacted when I was in middle school. And so you know you mentioned earlier about uh, taking the race car to uh, school. So we try and do uh, two schools a year. And we'll work with, like, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, so we've done, uh, we try and go to, like, um, inner city schools or, or schools of uh, underprivileged youth where they don't have a ton of money to, you know, uh, for field trips and, and technology, iPads and things like that in the classroom. So we try and bring the race car to them, and I've worked with a few uh, principals and superintendents. And uh, what we do is the goal is I basically try and, you know, I think back 20 years ago, uh, or 30 years ago, I guess it is now, and uh, try and emulate what that astronaut did for me. So it doesn't matter if I'm if I'm going to an elementary school and we're talking to first graders, or if I'm going to a middle school, you know, and we're talking to 13 uh, year olds. We um, we learn through the teachers what they're studying, like very specifically if it's geometry, if it's just you know just simple reading, uh, if it's geography. We will or I will use that and talking about how it relates to racing. So I bring the race car. We'll take some panels off. You know, when it comes to geometry, we'll, we'll have the kids point out, like, the different shapes. And, you know, obviously there's triangles everywhere on these cars uh, for strength. And so, you know, we'll talk about triangulation and why what they're studying right now within, you know, shapes and geometry, how that applies to building a race car. Um, you know, we talk about communication and, you know, uh, not speaking over each other. And why is that important? Well, you've got two guys, you know, with helmets on, and you're making decisions, you know, at the speed of light. And if you're talking over each other, you know, there's not clear communication. And so, you know, with, with like first graders, I get, you know, five to ten minutes to to give my little presentation. Mm-hmm. They probably couldn't care less about, you know, the, the, the math and the reading and everything, that, how it comprehends. They just love getting to sit in the race car and getting the swag that we have out, hand out. But we do try and ask engaging questions, and it is – the most fulfilling thing that we do every year um, is going to these schools. And when I'm lucky enough to get on the podium and get a check, uh, we donate 10% of all of our race winnings uh, in the form of school supplies to um, these schools. And so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a young son. He's eight years old. So, you know, I've, I've been to his school a couple of times. And so that's always fun. But, um, you know, get, getting to go to schools where, you know, kids may have not had the opportunity to see this kind of stuff and, talk about, you know, my upbringing, you know, where we grew up and how we got into racing. If there's any kid that gets excited about that stuff, then, you know, it's it's been an awesome day. So we, we work really hard on using our platform of racing to try and, you know, uh, give back or provide, you know, some excitement um, and something that relates to schoolwork outside of just schoolwork for the sake of schoolwork. Dude, that is absolutely awesome. And, uh that's just amazing, and and you know it's one of those things where uh, you'd be amazed what kind of impact that has. I, it's funny. Um, there's an ash, there's actually a uh, husband and wife astronaut that live in the town that I'm from, and they came in and talked to us about uh, like how math and science relates to the things that they do, and they did on the space station. And uh, his name was uh, Hoot Gibson, and his wife I forget her first name, um, but uh, he came in and basically explained everything like that and kind of explain why math is important and ultimately uh when i was 16 got a jeep it kind of led to me figuring out you know <clears throat> there's these cool things called 
uh, triangulation, four link suspensions, all this stuff, and ended up going to college as a mechanical engineer uh, to build suspensions. All I wanted to do was just build suspension on race cars, and um, found that wasn't for me. Uh, I did not like AutoCAD, and ended <laughs> up going to write software. Uh, so it built the bridge for me, but it all started. Um, it's so funny. It all started. Uh, listening to the astronauts speak when I was young and the importance of like how science plays into every single thing that we do. And, you know, the things they're doing on the space station are things that happen here every single day. Uh, it's just, you know, theirs is just in a different environment. Uh, so it's really, really cool to hear you say that. And I think that that's really cool, uh, to see the lasting impact. And not only that, but you guys are giving it back. That's, that's, I don't, I don't know of anyone else in, in, uh, especially that I've, that I've interviewed or anything like that or in the community um, that goes out of their way to return that favor. So uh, big hats off to you guys. I think that's really, really awesome. Um, well, you know, we, we, we do it, um, you know, because of, um, you know, it's, it's um, selfishly it, it does a lot for us from, uh, you know, making us, you know, it's, you just can't help but smile. I feel great for weeks when you see these kids, um, you know, and how excited they get. And um, so I, I appreciate you saying that. But, man, we we, we do it um, because it's just – it's something that um, is so much fun, you know, and um, and gratifying to see these the kids' eyes light up. Uh, it is – it's something special to see. So, you know, if we can make an impact at all like, like that astronaut did with us, then, you know, I feel like that kind of comes with part of the territory and responsibility of – of uh, being a race car driver. So. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me ask you a little bit because uh, I always love painting the fact that, you know, people aren't just race car drivers. People aren't just uh, these, these you know, figures that have families, lives, and jobs. Uh, you mentioned you had an eight-year-old son. Um, I see that he does jujitsu. Yes. Man, he does everything that I did as a kid, but just way better. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a better driver. We've got him in a, a Razor 170 right now, and yeah. he does not know what the brake pedal is. So, you know, he's faster than that. We, we actually compete. We've got um, um, a piece of land not too far from us, and, and I built a dirt track in the field with some turns and a couple of jumps and everything. And I have to drive all out in his little 170 to beat his time. So That's awesome. um, he does that. He does jujitsu. He's already competed in a couple of tournaments. Um, there's a big deal. So I fought uh, a little bit. I did some just light MMA um, about 10 years ago, just kind of as a you know as a personal challenge, and um, had some you know like local matches. And he's already beat my record as far as like most matches in a day. He's got way more hardware than I ever, you know, had, and um, I, you know, I couldn't be more proud of him. He he, he does uh, he wakeboards. You know, we go out um, three or four days a week in the summer. You know, after after school, after work, mm-hmm. and get on the water. And you know, the same thing goes for my wife. She, you know, she's a, um, uh, you know, has broken through the glass ceiling, so to speak, and is a um, vice president of marketing for a company, you know, globally. And she helps me a ton. She's an expert in social media. So she she actually dials back some of the stuff that we put out there. Sometimes you know I have her proof uh, something, and, and yeah. she's kind of like that one's a little bit out there. So yeah, you know, she's kind of my filter. But um, here's what what's funny about that is, you know, she is obviously my biggest fan. She is my biggest critic. Um, I was very lucky and got to co-host the uh, King of the Hammers live show out in California. And as I'm sitting there and the camera's on me, she was blowing up my phone telling me, you know, how nervous I looked, how much of a robot 
robot I look like. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we, I had to call her when we DNF, when, you know, when the car broke mm-hmm. uh, at KOH. And she wouldn't even talk to me. She was so mad. She was like, she, once she realized I was okay, yeah. she was furious that we were out after only 30 miles. Mm. Uh, it was, she had to drive the truck and trailer. We met up on this like, um, desert power line road, uh, a couple miles off course. And she would not even, uh, talk to me. She talked to my co-driver. She kept asking, I don't understand if you guys were able to drive the car to me to get it on the trailer. Why couldn't you make it to the next pit? You know, so, so, um, she, it was, it's funny and neat, uh, to see how, you know, much she is into it and supportive of it. That's so, awesome. Um, that's, you know, from a family perspective, yep, very, very lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's always good to have, uh, the wife on board for the race program for, you know, you say that, but, you know, the families where the wife is not on board, that's uh-huh. kind of the filter from, like, overspending and swiping the credit card because, you know, it's a battle to buy yeah. every part. Whereas in my house, when I buy a part, she's asking me, why didn't I buy this other part that was you know, like, <laughs> more expensive? And so I I am the one that has to filter, you know, and, and, and have the, you know, common sense at the table. Otherwise, you know, we'd be uh, in a IFS, IRS uh, you know, car out there. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, so it has its, um, it has its pluses and minuses when the, when the spouse is all in. Yeah. Program. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so one other thing is you guys are both super fit. Uh, does, I saw that, I think your wife competes in the NPC. Is that right? She does. I saw your, your, you know, uh, underneath <laughs> that label. You yeah. Know, um, give, uh, give her a run for her money. I cannot compete with, um, the likes of either of you. She is, all in very dedicated and I don't know how she does it because when she does these shows, they're like 12 weeks of preparation. And so she eats like six meals a day and she, you know, pre-plans all of her meals on Sunday for the whole week. And, you know, so she's doing 30 plus meal plans uh, every Sunday mm-hmm. and I eat the exact opposite. What? Like, you know, I, 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 she has to eat, uh, she has to make two meals. Essentially she makes one meal for herself and then one meal for my son and I, uh-huh. you know, um, for dinners and breakfasts and everything. So um, I think there's, like, some sick, twisted thing with you, like, hyper-fit people that you enjoy watching other people eat, you know, the, <laughs> the garbage that you guys know you're not supposed to eat. So yeah. I think she likes, she likes you know, uh, every single night in her house. So we're talking seven nights a week, she makes uh, cookies uh, before we go to bed for my son and I. And she won't eat any of them. And Man, so I'm like – I know. I don't, I think she wants to have the best abs in the house. Um, but you know, uh, we do, it's a big part of our life. You know, for me personally, it is kind of my, um, uh, I kind of, kind of, you know, use the analogy of like wiping, you know, if you're wiping the sweat off, that's kind of wiping the day off, wiping the stresses and the anxieties and, and, you know, everything that comes with, you know, having, having to, um, um, you know, do what we all do work and, and pay the bills and, you know, the, the gym is my release and my escape. And, you know, I go, you know, once or twice a day, um, for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour each time. And, um, that's kind of what keeps me sane. And it's so funny. I, I, you know, and, um, on the lake bed, I work out every day. We get up at like 5:30 in the morning or I do. And, and I'll go out into my tent 
and we've got, you know, I bring dumbbells every single year. And so we do, <laughs> I just do like before anyone can wake up and make fun of me or tease me or anything like that, you know, uh, um, I get a good workout and then I feel great the whole rest of the day. And, awesome. um, but yeah, so it's a big, it's as much, uh, mental as it is, um, you know, physical for me, but yeah, she, she competes, she wins. The biggest joke around the house now is between my son winning his uh, jiu-jitsu tournaments and my wife winning the fitness competition is that I've got the smallest trophy shelf in the oh. house. And I know. So believe me, it, it does not go unnoticed when friends and family come by. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the the room is stacked up with their with their wins and, and a couple of my little uh, third places. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I understand, and I think that's awesome. Uh, it's cool, though, that um, you take care of yourself. I, I've said it before on the podcast that, um, you know, one of the best ways to shed weight in the car is for you to take care of yourself and for you to stay healthy so you can stay in a fire suit and stay in a helmet out there in the desert and, you know, in the in the woods here in the southeast. Uh, you know, you got to take care of yourself. That's priority number oh, one. And it's super good to see people who put that as a priority. Absolutely. And I know, I know we're wrapping up. I, I do want to say, I didn't get a chance to talk too much about it, but, um, there is, you know, we do through our social media, we've, we've done this new series called Jake Holloway name drops. And it is, it is an opportunity for me to go back and kind of talk about some of the really neat experiences I've had with some just hyper talented, uh, individuals that, and share stories that the average fan either doesn't get to see through social media or doesn't get to see on the cameras. And we tried to very, be very specific on on instances and occurrences that happen away from all the cameras and, and to try and share that. And, and something that, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk about, but I will, is the co-drivers. And before we go, I really want to shout out to not only my co-driver, uh, Josh, but all of the co-drivers out there. That is, you know, we talk about the volunteers uh, being a thankless job. Man, the co-drivers have a thankless job. They they have there's so much that they do to you know the, to make for a successful race campaign that that goes unnoticed. You know the keeping the driver calm, uh, course you know readout, being you know mechanical, um, being able to get the driver excited. You know it's so easy to get down when you're in a race car, especially if you're driving for eight or ten hours. Mm-hmm. You know, those, you know, mine in particular, I've had a couple of them and, and, and I've, um, Terry Madden, he's, he's kind of a driver whisperer. Uh, he's, he's been involved in a lot of pro teams and has brought them a lot of success. So there's, I, I do want to make it, make sure to shout out to the co-drivers and, and, um, and share a little bit about what they do. It is, they have a tough job and, um, man, they spend as much money as a lot of the drivers do as far as getting out to the desert and, uh, making it all happen. So, um, big thanks to those guys. Yeah, and I think that that's a, a well-deserved thank you uh, to all of those guys as well. Um, but yeah, that pretty much covers everything. Uh, I think we touched a little bit of everything uh, in terms of all the spectrums and, and all the kinds of racing. Um, for sure, gonna have to get you on for another episode because this was this is way too much fun. Uh, I feel like you and I could talk for a lot longer. A hundred percent. Cool, cool. Um, well, what we'll do then, is there anybody that you want to give a shout-out to uh, before we close it out? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The biggest sticker on my car says BAK Motorsports, <laughs> and um, that is, uh, you know, that, that you know, you, there's a lot of recognizable emblems on there, rugged radios and Raceline, and um, the guys who did my rap trailers of the East Coast, which, by the way, crushed it with this last rap. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, 
they they actually incorporated the northern lights and they they listened to my story of racing and how we race and where we race and so they brought in all these unique aspects of racing off the grid as part of this crisscross pattern and the northern lights you know racing under the stars and the galaxy and they just really crushed it but bak motorsports uh has everything to do with family and my brother-in-law who really helped us to transcend into you know the unlimited class and and um and you know help us to really become you know the team that we are so big big uh you know shout out to him i don't get enough opportunities to to recognize you know everything that he's helped us do and um and he's his family he's my brother-in-law and um but yes you know it, it's one of those deals where um I, i'm very lucky to be working with just great great uh partners and um I like guys like um uh factor 55 you know they don't uh, build very expensive parts but man that guy's been you know um with me from the very beginning as soon as, soon as they started putting out products we we've had them on their cars and um we have a great partner very unique and polar bear coolers and you know they provide us coolers that we give in, uh give away to the the volunteers at uh, Hammers Week every year but you know it it it's their two-way street is they do a ton for us from uh, the marketing side, they they blast our stories out there, and and so we're real lucky to have uh, just a really group, good group of um, partners. So I appreciate you giving me a chance to thank those guys. Yeah, no problem. And I think that you know it's it's cool that not only you know just it's cool that all your, your partners mean something to you. Uh, a lot of times, like you said earlier, people just take free parts and and discounted parts for the sake of getting discounted parts, and uh, I think it's it's super genuine to to hear. That you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of meat to all of those all of those partners. So I yep, think that's sir. cool. Um, well, Jay, with that, uh, we'll close it out. Uh, I'll give you a call here in just a few minutes to kind of tidy tidy up some things and, and talk to you a little bit more. Um, but it was an absolute pleasure having you on today, and I'm already looking forward to next time. Same is here, I, and uh, it's been a, a privilege. I appreciate the invitation, and can't wait to do it again. All right, sounds good, Jay. I'll speak with you soon. All right.